You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. In this episode, we kick off our series looking at the life of Joseph. There are lots of things in Joseph's account that show how broken and sinful we are as human beings, but we equally see God's sovereignty throughout Joseph's story. In this first episode, we see the mistakes and poor decisions of Joseph, his father, and his brothers, and are reminded that God is still in control. There is an old Yiddish phrase that roughly translates man plans and God laughs. It's a, it's a reminder to me of Proverbs 19.21, which is a little bit more eloquent than that, uh, which says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. As we kick off this first Sunday in 2024, one full week in, uh, I wonder how many of us have already seen plans in those seven days that we had uh, expected kind of fall apart. I'll tell you, my first few days of 2024 started out with uh, a fractured finger for one of my children um, in, in, a, in a different state, um, which required us to come back uh, to, to the orth, yeah, the ortho um, on call. Um, same same kid had pink eye too, um, and uh, we had to do a lot of driving. And then I get a call after a six hour car ride from Connecticut that um, someone claimed I was in South Carolina hitting their car and running off. So that was like within the first two days of 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 2024, and I thought to myself, wow, can we go back to 2023? Um, and, and I wonder, you know, for some of us, we can adapt really well when stuff like that happens. Like we're, we're just, my, that's one of the reasons why God's gifted me with the wife he's gifted me with is because Carrie is just able to move through stuff like that like butter. I mean, me, not so much. And so uh, it's that challenge of saying, well, how, how do I navigate through this situation that I wasn't expecting, that, that I didn't necessarily want or, or ask for uh, without getting frustrated, without um, letting things fall apart? You can get to that place where you start to say, like, nothing is going right. And I'm not sure like what to do with it. Everything feels like it's spiraling out of control. Theologians will talk about the sovereignty of God. We sang about the sovereignty of God earlier. God's supreme authority and rule over the world. At its simplest, we might say that God's sovereignty prevents our ability to utterly screw things up. That to put it in more delicate terms, though, God is still in control. When, when things don't go the way that we want them to go or expected them to go, God is still sovereign. He's still above all things. He's still in control. He's not surprised by any of that. His will and His control haven't somehow been upended because of our mistakes or because of accidents or things in life that have happened. But in the midst of life's meanderings, in the midst of the things that life throws at us, we might not feel that way. We might feel like everything's spiraling out of control. We also might say that God doesn't waste anything. 
In other words, even when things are out of our control, that doesn't mean things are out of His control. He doesn't waste our mistakes. He doesn't waste our pain. He doesn't waste our failures. He doesn't waste our successes and triumphs either. God has a perfect economy, and in that economy, nothing is wasted. Throughout the Bible, we see many accounts that prove this. As we read, especially in the Old Testament, about how God has has walked with His people. And I think one of the stories, one of the accounts in Scripture that we, where we see this the most is in the story of Joseph. And over these next few weeks, we're going to spend looking at that account at the end of Genesis of Joseph and seeing how in the midst of that, in the midst of mistakes, both by Joseph and his brothers and his father and other people, that God is still sovereign. God is not surprised that God is still over all things. He's still in control of all things. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. and be kind of chomping on a big chunk of this today. Um, we'll read it in little increments. Um, but starting in Genesis 37 is where we read about Joseph. Some of you may be familiar with the story. Um, no problem if you're not. These first two verses of Genesis 37, this is what we read. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. We'll, we'll get to those next verses uh, in a second. But in those first two verses, we see a lot. We, first of all, we actually haven't even been officially introduced to the fact that Joseph is Jacob's son by another wife. So, you know, you got three moms there. There's one thing, right, right off the bat that there's probably an issue. But Joseph goes and he's tending flocks with his brothers. And what happens? He comes back to tattle on them. Now, 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 those of us who have siblings, we have never had that experience before, right? Like siblings never tell on each other at all. And here, Joseph, one of the youngest of, of all of these children, comes back to tell his dad, hey, dad, guess what? They're, they're not doing what you asked them to do. We continue on in the next two verses and we see some more background. Now, Israel, which is also Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, so we see some more things here. Israel or Jacob is Joseph's father. Now, if we go back and we look at the family tree, going all the way back to Abraham, right? Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Joseph and his brothers. Okay, so Joseph's grandfather is, is the child of promise, Isaac. The one that God had promised Abraham and said to him and Sarah, hey, I'm going to make a great nation of great people of you and I'm going to do it through Isaac. 
That's Joseph's grandson. It doesn't take long for us to screw things up in the line of things, right? Like a generation or two, and all of a sudden we find ourselves doing silly things. And Jacob, or Israel, is one of them. Right here in these verses, we see what Jacob has already done. And in Parenting 101, they will tell you right off the bat, don't show favoritism to your children. You know, don't favor your kids. Don't favor your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews or whatever. And when that happens, inevitably, we're going to see bad things happen out of that. And sure enough, in verse 4, that's what we see. We see that because of what they had done, there was anger, there was hatred. They hadn't spoken a kind word. What's even more is that Jacob should have known better. If we roll back a couple of chapters into Genesis 25, verses 27 through 28, this is what we read. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob had experienced favoritism before. His, his mom loved him, his dad loved his twin brother, and they, were, they could not have been more opposite. One was the outdoor hunter guy, right? The other guy was the one who stays at home and plays in computers all day, right? Like, he, they were very, very different. And they showed favoritism, so you would think that Jacob would have gotten it. He would have said, man, I know what this did with me and my brother. And yet... What does he do with Joseph? The very thing that caused problems with him and his brother, Jacob carries out. Don't show favoritism. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. It does not end well. Whether you're a parent or a friend or whatever it is, whatever your role is, when we show favoritism, bad things will happen. And that's what we see here in the beginning of this story, in the beginning of this account, we see that favoritism doesn't lead to anything good. Now, as if Joseph wasn't hated enough because he was being favored by his father, he was given this ornate robe, right? Any of us who grew up, you know, 70s, 80s know the whole Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, right? That's this story here, except uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber made it a little bit more, you know, exciting with music and dancing and stuff, right? So it continues on in verse 5, and this is what we read. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? Us. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? 
His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, favoritism doesn't help, right? Relationships between siblings. It also doesn't help that when you have a dream that you're above your brothers, that you share it with them. I'm thinking to myself, what on earth was Joseph thinking? That he thought this was a good idea. Maybe he was feeling that younger sibling thing. Any of us who are younger siblings, we know that sometimes we feel like that that competition rises up. We've got to prove to ourselves, to our brother or sister, to our parents, to everybody around that somehow we're better than everybody else's. And Joseph has this dream that God's given him. Not just one dream, but two dreams. And he tells his brothers. And as if they didn't hate him already, They hate him more now. You know, it's a lesson for us. Sometimes we might have information revealed to us, but it may not be in our best interest to share it. We may need to keep it to ourselves. Joseph was already public enemy number one in the eyes of his brothers. And then he goes and shares this dream about everybody bowing down to him. Someone taught me years ago that before I say something to somebody else, I need to think. And think can be an acronym, right? If we go back to our elementary school days, some of us may have been taught this, right? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it kind? Are we asking ourselves these questions before we decide that we're just going to come out and say, hey, I had a dream. I might as well tell my brothers about it because, you know, it's a good idea. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? Is it kind? As we consider whether or not to share something with someone else, we've got to ask ourselves these questions. And wonder, are, can we answer yes to all these things? I used to be the guy who said, well, it's true, so I'm just going to share it. But you've got to go through the whole thing and ask yourself, is it going to be beneficial if I share this? Joseph shared his dreams, and even his dad, who loved him more than any of his brothers, was kind of like, I don't know if this is a good idea. But his dad didn't do anything to change the course of it, and then his dad sends him out again because the first time wasn't bad enough, right? When he goes and he comes back with a bad report from his brothers. He goes and shares again. And this is a bigger chunk that we read here starting in verse 19. As Joseph goes and comes up on his brothers who are out there in the fields and they're tending their flocks, they say, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Let me stop there for a second because any of you who have brothers or sisters, especially brothers, I mean, no offense to you ladies, but boys, when they get together, they're just dumb. I mean, especially as you get older, like you can put two guys together and the stupid stuff that they think about together is just unbelievable. And like they'll blow things up and they'll break things and they'll get hit by cars and I mean, all kinds of stuff. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with you ladies. In fact, you've got a higher intelligence probably than a lot of guys who just, when they get together, it's like the IQ goes down. Brothers can do stupid things. So here they are, and they're all conspiring together. They see Joseph coming up on them. They're like, hmm, let's kill him. 
That sounds like a good idea. And then we'll pretend, you know, that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then look, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, Reuben, who's the oldest, all right, from a strengths finder standpoint, Reuben's got responsibility. He's the, you know, dutiful firstborn child. He says, let's not take his life. Okay, so reason sort of is winning the day here. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So again, he's thinking somewhat rationally that he's going to come back and rescue him. And Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him, they threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Now, I don't know what they're drinking while they're eating this together, but the ideas continue to roll and they're not good ones. Right? Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Sounds like he's going in the right direction. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Okay, so there's a little rationality that's happening here, but all of a sudden he's like, hey guys, I got a great idea. Let's not kill him, let's sell him instead. And so what happens? So, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? And then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces and Jacob tore his robe, his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I'll continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. <clears throat> Brothers get together. They're not thinking good thoughts. They say things like, what if we, or how about, and it ends up that they sell their brother into slavery, all because of anger and jealousy. Things spiral. It started with favoritism, right? That Jacob was favoring Joseph above his brothers. And what happens? They all are angry with him. Joseph tells his dream. It continues to spiral. A few things to notice back in those verses. In verse 20, they mention Joseph's dreams. So it wasn't just a, hey, Joseph's going to tell them his dreams. They're going to forget about it and then go. Look. Like, like I, I grew up with, with an Italian grandmother. I tell people all the time, she held grudges like it was an Olympic event. I mean, and the fact of the matter is, like, we don't all forgive each other very well. 
especially when you get that sibling rivalry together. And Joseph's brothers are not easily forgetting about this dream. It says that it was the dream that they're thinking about. In fact, when they see him coming, they say, there's that dreamer. Now here's the thing, as we continue on over the next few weeks, we'll see that God actually uses these dreams for a good thing. But, in the meantime, Joseph still doesn't know what to do with them. It's not caused anything good with his brothers. In fact, he ends up being sold and going into Egypt. The first thing that they think of in in verse 23 is that they think, let's throw him in the cistern. They strip him of the robe, the robe that his father had given him. Again, that favoritism. And then what do they do from there? They lie. They think it's a better idea that their father thinks he's dead. I mean, imagine them going back. It's better to go back and say to your dad, hey, your son's dead, than to say, we sold him. I mean, I, I guess, right? But that's what happens here when we start down a certain path too. Things just spiral and spiral and spiral. You've got a teenage boy favored above his brothers. He tattles on them. He tells them his dreams that he's had, which clearly indicate that in the end they will end up subservient to him. There's jealousy here. There's anger here. There's hatred here. The brothers are ready to kill. They end up selling him. They lie to their father. It all sounds like something out of a soap opera if you ever watch any of those. And it hardly seems like something from which any kind of good will come. Can there really be anything redemptive that comes out of this mess? And when we think about it, God is still over all these things. God wasn't surprised that Joseph's brothers did what they did. He wasn't surprised that they went back and lied to their dad. He wasn't surprised that they, were, that they sold him and that he ended up in Egypt. God knew all this would happen. It wasn't a surprise to him. Despite the favoritism, the lying, the anger, the jealousy, and all these things, God is still sovereign over the whole situation. And as we walk through over these next few weeks, walk through the account of Joseph, we'll see this over and over again. That even despite man's evil and sin and mistakes, despite their silly thinking, God is still in control. And I say that not so that we can say, oh, hey, well, I can do whatever I want. God's going to make, make up for it. Now, that's not the approach that we should have as followers of Christ. We should say, hey, even if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, even if or even when I don't do things the way that I'm supposed to, God is still in control. God's still sovereign over this whole situation. I can't screw it up beyond His capacity to redeem it. And it's hard for us in life to get to that place where we really think that. Sometimes we've got to ask ourselves, do we really trust that God is sovereign, is in control? We can say that in the midst of a nice little, oh, hey, I heard a sermon. We talked about how God's in control. But then when the chips come down, when stuff happens in life, we've got to ask ourselves, do we really believe that? Do I really believe that God is sovereign? When I'm struggling, when I'm dealing with loss, when I have 
difficult things happen in life, do I really believe that God is still over that? Because I'll tell you what, I don't always. That the moment that things come against me, uh, the first two days of 2024, I'm asking myself, really? Like, are you really sovereign over all this, God? Because it doesn't feel like it right now. Because it feels like everything's spiraling. And for those control freaks among us, maybe you can relate. Like, we just want things to line up. We want things to be all right in a row. And and sometimes God doesn't put that in front of us like that. Sometimes we're just walking and saying, okay, let's, you know, obsessively put these things back. And God's saying, I got this. I'm still over all this. What do we see in all this? Two things. First of all, we cannot thwart God's plans. We cannot disrupt them. We cannot throw them off. We will not surprise God. Nothing will surprise God. And we'll see this over and over again. So throughout, maybe it'll sound like a broken record over these next few weeks, but I think it's absolutely important for us to understand this, that we cannot mess up God's plans. Again, that's not reason to try. For those of us who like a good, you know, challenge in front of us. Oh, let me see if I can mess up God's plans here. No, that's not giving you permission to go try it. It's saying that even if you don't do what you're supposed to do, God is still in control. And the second thing is this. God is sovereign. Even when it doesn't seem that way. Even when it seems like things are spiraling out of control. You know, those of you who've hung around for any length of time know that um, I, I dig the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, I, I, I think it's helpful when we're reading through Scripture to not just read the same version over and over again, the same translation. This is obviously a paraphrase, but I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones um, ties everything together that aligns with what we're talking about. So let me just read this to to close. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colors of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king. Joseph told his brothers, and you all bowed down to me. Now I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph in his dreams. And one day that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him, sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took... Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. And the brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought. But they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life. And even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. We need this reminder. I need this reminder. Over and over and over again. 
that when we look at our circumstances right in front of us, when they're, when they're spiraling out of control, it may seem like God's out of control as well. He is not. He is still sovereign. We need to trust. It's a hard thing. It's not something that we just put on paper and say, oh, this is easy. It's hard for us to trust. But when we do, we see that God is up to something to fulfill His greater purpose, His greater work, and we get to be part of that. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for Joseph. We're probably also thankful that we're not Joseph. Sometimes we might feel like that, with things spiraling out of control, with things just not going the way that we thought they would. And so, Father, would you help us? Would you be with us? Would you remind us of your sovereignty in the midst of it all? Would you remind us, God, that even when things feel like they're spiraling out of control, that you are sovereign over all things? So remind us, God, help us to have faith and trust you in the midst of those storms, in the midst of the spiraling, in the midst of all those things. We commit ourselves to you and ask that you continue to teach us what it means to trust in you and your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. Where do you fall when it comes to things not going your way? Do you still believe God's sovereign even when it seems that everything's spiraling out of control? I hope you'll join us over these next few episodes as we continue to look at Joseph's life and see how God works even when we don't always get it right and obey. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.